Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. Hey now. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to After 9. Great chat with LL Cool J on our radio shows today. And are we are we doing it in the pod? Or? Do you want to? It's up to you. I don't care. It's it, a little copy and paste, really, at this point, isn't it? Yeah, that's fine. We already did the interview. So we'll <laughs> have that LL interview at the end. Um, thank you so much. I just want to say thank you to everybody who sent in a DM regarding Leo, my puppy. I told you all about that story. You can go back to yesterday's podcast and all the medical things that we went through. A lot of you have, have stories, and they were really, like, heartbreaking stories. I understand. All to do with the cost of being a pet owner and trying to do your best and trying to figure out uh, whether or not to go through with expensive surgeries and testing. And man, I feel all of you and I appreciate it. And a quick, very good update is that we did get the lab results back from the last test we were waiting on and it was great. Everything's great. Oh, that's good good. news. So we're just learning to live with a pup with... Uh, reactive epilepsy and we have a log going to make sure what when and if he has any seizures we could try to figure out if there's any kind of pattern or understanding as to why he gets them but he's so happy up and moving around eating and drinking and uh, all is good there so thanks again for the well wishes and the and the and the DMs and looks like he'll be hanging around with us our little buddy will be hanging around with us for a while to come so very good. good yeah you want to do a take your dog to work day? T- uh, no, one of these days? no, not no? Ha- that's not happening. Uh, no, 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 I no, miss no, Leo. no, no. Okay, well, uh, while we're on the topic of animals, and I think we touched on this yesterday, but I did a little more of a deep dive, and I spoke to the people at the Humane Society of Kitchener, Waterloo, and Stratford, Perth. They have 345 animals currently in their care, mm-hmm. and a wait list of 139 pets. People that want to surrender their pet and can't, because there's 345 animals currently at that the two locations of that one humane society. Yeah. They say this is happening at shelters across North America. They say they're at their breaking point. They're short-staffed. Adoptions have slowed down, even though they lowered the cost to adopt. Donations have decreased, and demand for low-cost veterinarian services Mm -hmm. has skyrocketed. There's a lot of people who would rather take their animal to the humane society to get them spayed or neutered because it's cheaper than just going to a vet, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And there's an overwhelming amount of people and it's it's really hard because like you don't want to sit there and you don't want to be judgy with people because you understand that people's living situations change suddenly the economy that we're living in right now it's insane I mean like I told you I got dms yesterday from people talking about their animal um one was absolutely heartbroken still feels terrible to this day because a little while back just financially couldn't couldn't give four thousand dollars for a surgery that the cat needed and had to put the cat down you know, and it's yeah. people are in that situation all the time because finances come into play and that's where the Humane Society helps and they do their best. But my goodness, they can only help so much and it's really becoming overwhelming for them. So if you can manage it, you know, we've mentioned before, if you can manage it, we know it's difficult for a lot of people. Even throwing them like $10 to Walmart the next time you're there goes a long way. They can buy something there to help with at least housing those animals. If you know someone who might want to foster, because maybe you're not ready to to adopt fully, you're not ready for that commitment, but you have a little bit of room for a little bit of time, anything that you can do to help them out so we don't have to put down a large amount of animals. We, we never wanted to be 
especially in this country, I feel like in Canada, we're well known for trying our best to rehabilitate animals and to find them homes. And there's other parts in other countries, especially, that don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. They're just take them out back and shoot them, essentially. We never want to be those that those people. We never want to be known for that. We want to try to find homes as best we can and have them looked after in the proper care that they should get. You know, one of the things that really frustrates me is how we still treat animals as second class here in Canada. And and we've made some progress. We've We've discontinued testing products on animals and things like that. But our shelters still don't get funded. And I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... I don't know how many people actually take the time to go and buy a dog license in the city that they happen to live in, but it is actually required and you could be asked to produce your dog's license at any year or at any time and you're supposed to renew it every year. Where where does that money go? Are, Are cities just taking that and pissing it away? Why couldn't that money go directly to the humane societies and go to animal control mm-hmm. and, and branches like that? It just seems like in 2023, when almost half of Canadian households have a pet, this is something we could all agree on that we're going to donate just a fraction of a point of our annual budget to shelters, making sure that they've got all the supplies they need and making sure they've got enough space for when we end up in situations where we've got 350 animals being fostered mm-hmm. at the Humane Society and a wait list of 140 more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every city may be a little bit different and hopefully there are some cities that have stepped forward and said, here's what we're going to do. Um, whether that means that they give up a property to help them out or th- maybe it is funding. I don't know how it, how that works. But nonetheless, see how you can help your Humane Society. The one, uh, I did my kid's birthday party there. Some offer birthday parties. That's a good way to help too. Yeah. I was able to basically donate money, but then host a, a birthday party there at the same time. And it was fantastic. And the kids loved it. And they got to see animals and it was great. Anyway, any way that you can help, rightly appreciate it always. But we understand everyone's in a, oh, there's a lot of people in such a tough spot right now. It's heartbreaking. So you get a lot of those DMs too, eh? I do. I, yeah. it seems like at least one a day now from families that are just gobsmacked by the situation they found themselves in. I had one just the other day from a woman, and she's a daily listener of After 9. Thank you. Uh, between her and her partner, they make $160,000 a year, and they're broke. Yeah. Like, that should never <laughs> happen in Ontario. Like, think about that. Like, that's that's not right. It's not right. It's, it's not, not. No, it's disgusting. You know, and it used to be back in the day, if you made that much money and you were broke, well, figure out your spending habits, because it's bad. That's not the case now. The interest rates are insane. The inflation is insane. You get used to spending a certain amount of money on things, and you have to adjust your life to it. And yes, of course, you can adjust your life to it the best you can. But when you're talking about making payments on a home... You can't just be like, oh, well, we'll just spend less on our house. No, thanks. The banks want their money and they want it when they say they want it. Um, So if you're in that situation, if it feels better to vent to us, you're welcome to DM us anytime. Just know that we're just as pissed off as you guys are for sure. Coming up, we're going to talk about Disney. We're going to talk about the blind side and we're going to talk about Britney Spears. Three fun things that are all in the news for wild reasons. But before we get to that, just a couple of things. I don't know how many people have actually heard or realized it yet, but what's happening in Canada's far white north is absolutely astounding to me. 20,000 people in the capital of the Northwest Territories are in a fire danger. The blaze has been advancing toward Yellowknife since it breached a fire break over the weekend. It's burning about 17 kilometers outside of Yellowknife now. The evacuation order applies to the city of Yellowknife and the neighboring First Nations communities. They've told an entire capital city in Canada, you got to evacuate, go. We could lose an entire capital of Canada to fires this weekend. 
People have to be out by tomorrow or they've been told help will not be there. What a scary time. What a scary time. You think about all the fires and you want to help everybody. But this is uh, this is burning in our own backyard, you know, um, and it's awful. From what I know of Yellowknife, too, the people there are amazing. Um, I, I had my aunt actually vacationed there and she said nobody ever thinks of Yellowknife as a vacation spot. She did it in the summer, to be fair. <laughs> she did it in the summer and she said it was such an incredible time and the, the, the beaches are beautiful and the people are beautiful. And you know what? It doesn't matter when, where stuff like this happens, but just to know that an entire community could be losing their entire community is, yeah. is heartbreaking. I hope it doesn't happen. We hope for the best, but uh, it's why are there so many fires? Why? Why are there so many fires? Like, can we please just figure this out? Is it is it global warming? That's what a lot of people are pointing it to. I believe they're calling it global boiling now. Okay. Uh, right. You know, I don't know. I heard an interesting stat from the premier of Alberta the other day. She said something like, we've got 565 fires burning right now, and at least 500 of them were man-made deliberately set or accidentally set by humans, that's not helping the problem. No doubt there's lightning strikes that are fueling some of these fires, but if there's some that are people who are ignoring burn bans and setting up a campfire and it just gets out of control, I, I think you should probably be treated as a criminal if you mm -hmm. start a fire like that in our country. I agree, I agree, because it's crystal clear, right? They let they let it be known. No matter where you go, you know there's a fire ban, especially in those places where it's intense. When I went, when I was uh, vacationing over in Tweed there, beautiful Tweed, Ontario, there was a ban in place and that was all through like Muskoka basically and they had signs everywhere like they let you know there's no excuse don't do it don't take the chance right even if you're the most responsible sober person and you're like ah there's no freaking way I get it because I was in that boat too where I'm like I, I know what I'm doing here you have to do it you have to play by the rules so that we don't have things like this happen Kat what have we been told non-stop for the last year it is a race to build housing in Canada because there's so many new Canadians coming to our country. Over half a million a year now, and we don't have homes for the people we've got, let alone the people who are coming. Well, we got some shocking news yesterday from CMHC. The annual housing starts are actually down. What? <laughs> this so is fucking Guys, crazy. This is messed up. You know, I was just driving. I was just driving this week um, on the way to, to the vet hospital. So I was taking the 401 and I was on Highway 6 and I, I couldn't believe how many housing developments there were. Mm -hmm. The places I haven't been in a while, right? Like I drove past a couple places. Hey, I haven't been here in like six months. And I look and I'm like, holy shit, there's a whole community of houses here. Like, when did that happen? In my mind, this should have been the opposite. It should have been. Uh, new builds were down 23% in Vancouver, 12% in Calgary, sorry, in Montreal, 29% in Toronto. They were only up in Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary. Both added more homes. The reason for this, they say, high interest rates. They say there's so these high interest rates affect the builders, not just us as the buyers. Okay. So when they want to go in and buy some land and then procure all the materials they need and the staff they need to build a high rise, that requires a fair bit of credit. They don't have hundreds of millions of dollars laying around. But with interest rates as high as they are, they affect the builders as well. So now the builders have said, oh, we're going to scale back. These rates are too high. We can't work with it. So now I think we're at a point where we can truly say every single problem plaguing Canadians right now is in some way linked to interest rates and taxes. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So whereas we should be, this should be easy, right? Where do you want to build? Yeah. Is it going to affect a stream or are you going to have to cut down trees or anything? No. All right. Go ahead. Build. Do whatever you want. How quickly can you get it done? That's what I thought we were doing. Turns out it's actually down wow. the number of new homes that that's, we're building. That's surprising. 
This next one is another shocking and alarming number. A thousand Canadian pediatricians were surveyed and they found that it's an alarming number of kids 12 to 18 years old that are being treated for drug overdoses. The report says overdoses are a public health emergency and get this, fatal overdoses are now the leading cause of death in children and teens between 10 and 18 in British Columbia. Let me say that again. Fatal drug overdoses are the leading cause of death for children in British Columbia. BC's Children's Hospital uh, says the survey didn't even include the kids and teens who may have overdosed but did not seek pediatric care. Pediatric specialists in all 10 provinces are reporting treating overdoses in children. Is this accidental ingestion or is this just kids who who got a hold of a uh, uh, whatever they found in mom and dad's mm-hmm. cupboard and got into it. Yeah. I, tell me there's not children doing fentanyl right now. Tell me there's not kids shooting heroin right now. Tell me that that's not I, happening. I would really hope that a lot of it is is accidental, which is still terrible. Like, put your shit away and keep it away. And also, it's possible that they are using drugs, uh, but, it, you know, we things get laced. Things are laced. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're buying, obviously you're not buying them legally because you're underage. You're not of age to do it. So you're just taking whatever someone has at a party. And this is, and that's what happens. Like it's a, it's so scary. That's a very scary situation. That's a, that's a huge flag right now. And I hope that they're doing everything they can to figure out what to do about that. I don't think I've ever read a statistic about a fatal overdose in a child other than your really random obscure ones. Like you had a crackhead mom who left her supply out and a toddler got into it. That's not what this is. These are kids intentionally taking these drugs and they're they're overdosing and in some cases fatal. Okay. Really scary stuff. And I mean, we're talking about kids. So then we're talking about the parents. Is it a change in parenting? You have to ask that question. If if you're seeing this, this stats increase, you have to ask if this is a question of parents not being around and where are the parents at? Um, You do have to just blanket Ask that question. And of course, there's some cases where some kids are pretty responsible kids and they just happen upon the wrong thing at the wrong time. But overall, when you look at those numbers, you have to ask, what are we doing wrong here? Right? Couldn't agree with you more. We've got, we really need to sit down and talk. This whole country, I feel like, needs to sit down and talk and figure out where we're going and get all on the same page about a lot of things. And this is a big problem. One of the big stories that you had this morning was, first off, Breaking news on Britney Spears getting divorced from the guy who basically was her rock, her constant, when she was fighting with her family, when everybody thought she was crazy, when she was trying to get out of the conservatorship, Sam Asghari was there with her. He's been with her for years. Years. Now he wants a divorce and possibly to challenge the prenup. Yeah, this is, so they'd been married only for 14 years, but like you mentioned, they've been together for many years. He was uh, in her music video, for those who don't know how they met. He was in one of her music videos many years ago, and then they started dating, and I guess the parents were okay with it. But he really had been her rock. More recently, in case you're wondering what happened, apparently they've been arguing. We heard they were on the rocks anyway, but Sam is accusing her of cheating. That's according to TMZ. And then they had just a complete, like, nuclear argument and he left and he packed up and he left and he officially filed yesterday for divorce irreconcilable differences k fine that's pretty common uh but he's asking for all the usual things spousal support attorney fees 
But on the issue of finances, he will contest the prenup. Um, Brittany apparently had him sign a prenup maintaining her assets as a separate property. So now we're probably looking at him wanting to dip in a little bit more to that. Yeah. Uh, and it's curious because where does the conservatorship lie in all of this? I wonder because they started together when she was in this conservatorship. She was free of the conservatorship when they got married. That's right. So that shouldn't be an issue, no, right? He, or am I wrong? Well, he was part of the constant that got her out of the conservatorship. Yeah. Like, okay, you don't need your parents to look after you anymore. You're in a stable relationship with what we deem as a good person. So they uh, they were okay with taking off that conservatorship. And, and the rest is history. I read a really interesting tweet. It's a legal opinion that even though he signed a prenup, even though they had deemed her assets separate, she didn't actually have control of the assets when they got together because they were covered under the conservatorship. So what he's going to argue is her life has now been greatly enriched because of his efforts to get her out of the conservatorship and in control of her money, assets included, and he was with her at the time she got access to her assets again. Isn't that such a toxic situation? It's like, so bad. It, like, it looks really bad, I think, on him staying with her for years and then getting married 14 months ago and now. like He had this planned all along. That's how I feel. I think that this is because when they first started dating, people were like kind of grossed out by it. Like, ah, he's, he's just using you. It's a weird situation. And then you thought, OK, maybe they really do love each other. And that's great. Maybe there was love there. And fine. We don't really know. We don't know them. But how is it that like you just finally got married and now you're going to claim all this shit and you want more than what's in the prenup, which I'm sure was pretty fair because you're the one that signed it 14 months ago. You signed it 14 months ago. It's not like you signed this thing. Oh, like eight years ago. And so much shit's changed. I don't think that much shit's changed aside from maybe potentially she cheated on you. Maybe. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We don't know if he was fucking greasy. I don't know. But no, to, Nobody's talking seems, if that's happened. No, it seems sketchy, though. It's just like, to me, it seems sketchy. Now you're asking for what? More money? You just want money? Is that what you want? Then why were you with her to begin with? There's way too many it just people. It weird. Yeah, I agree. There's way too many people that yell cha-ching when they hear the divorce word and think, all right, here we go. It's time to fleece them. Uh, and I don't know if that's what Sam's doing or if he truly is entitled to more, but even the spousal support he's going to get from her is going to be a life-changing amount of money monthly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to know details of what's in there too. Like, do they have to be married for a full year? Because if so, huge fucking red flag. They got married 14 months ago. So you're not like, to me, that screams because sometimes that's what happens for those who don't know. You can put time frames in there. Like we're together for a year, you get X amount. Maybe he could only handle it for a year and he was waiting and waiting and waiting. We heard they were on the rocks. He's probably just like waiting for it to be a year and then waiting for that argument to happen to go. Finally, I'm out. I'm taking my money and I'm leaving. I guarantee you that's the case. I mean, OK, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that she also had her things. <laughs> Brittany's got her shit, and, and I'm scared for her because apparently she cut ties with her mom again. So she's got nobody she's looking nobody. after her in that big house and an Instagram account. That's not good news. She's got Cade Hudson. Cade Hudson is her manager and has been her, like a longtime manager. One of the only people that actually stuck around post-conservatorship to be with her. They're close. Um, that's the guy she went on vacation with a while back. So a lot of people were like, where's Sam? But then they, but then Sam and her went on vacation, so everyone thought everything was cool. But I th apparently she, like that's the only person that she truly trusts. Now, on top of that, another layer is she's got this memoir coming out in October, which now I'm wondering, like, is I that I hope they kind didn't print it yet because there's going to be another well, chapter. For, I'd like there to be. Like, to be honest <laughs> with you, like, at first it was going to be held up because of Justin Timberlake and because of Colin Farrell and all the other stuff that happened apparently in their relationship that Britney was honest about in the book. They tried to get her to not publish it. But now we've got this extra Sam chapter. And I, no doubt in my mind, Sam's mentioned in that memoir. She's been a, he's been a huge part of her life. 
So do you look at that and go, fuck that? I'm not releasing that book, talking about how much I love him and how much he's there for me when he just left me. I wonder how that's going to change. And I have a feeling we're going to hear news on that in the coming weeks based off of what we've just learned in the last 24 hours. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll do that blindside update in just a sec because that's an interesting development. But first, is Apple buying Disney or is Apple going to buy part of Disney? How hard up is Disney for money that they're even considering selling off assets? Okay, so let's talk Disney first and money. When it comes to Disney, we all know that they're a massive company. It's not like they are hurting or anything like that. They're a money-making machine if they do it the smart way. The problem was they've made a lot of stupid choices lately. Um, and one of the examples I like to give, just because it makes me kind of laugh a little bit, is Willow. I think most people know that was a movie, what, back in the 80s, 90s? I don't even know. I remember watching it as a kid. I don't know. It's creepy. We are creepy. It was really Thank creepy. Thank you. It was creepy. What was it? Val Kilmer and then whatever. Okay, so they decided to bring in a series because they purchased. Don't forget, Disney made a lot of purchases too. And one of the things Disney purchased was... Um, wasn't it under the Lucas George Lucas umbrella? Anyway, so they got the rights to this and they decided let's do a Willow series all these years later and they did. And the... So we knew that they lost money off it, but we just found out more details. They lost $105 million making this series that nobody watched. And probably nobody got fired, which is crazy. Except for the poor people that were convinced to do the series. Now, they still got their paychecks for sure, but it was only on. They were supposed to have like a multi-year series. They scrapped it after just six months. It's just forget it, guys. We can't do this anymore. That was one example of many. We also had a lot of Marvel movies that didn't make as much as they thought they were going to make. I mean, and, and when we're talking all these movies, we're talking hundreds of millions at a time. So we're talking probably losses in the close to billion dollar mark off of stupid choices that Disney's made, in my opinion, stupid choices they've made. But Bob Iger, Disney CEO, not a fan favorite for actors right now. You might know. You might know. <laughs> but heard. anyway, we won't discuss that part of it. We'll talk about the writer strike and actor strike another time because that's ongoing. But he's once again, it's him that's bringing up the sale of Disney to Apple. We know there's only a few companies in the world that could even buy Disney. Yeah. Apple, maybe Alibaba. Maybe maybe Amazon. Amazon is another one, but like it's a real short list. And to find ones that even have a desire to, right? And Apple has said for years, their their executives have said for years, they're not interested in buying a studio. Don't want a studio, whatever. They've got their Apple TV Plus thing. They're cool with that, but they don't want to own a studio. But this is a different story. This if Apple's, is Disney. If, if Disney's up for grabs, Apple's going to bite, if you will. So now we're hearing that that may be the case. Bob Iger's hinting that for now, they're just looking at the TV stuff. So for those who don't know, they own ABC. They own uh, National Geographic and everything to go along with that. And obviously they own um, a couple different things TV wise. So they're looking to sell off the OG cable. FX is another one. They're looking to sell that off. And I think that'll be an easy one for Apple. They can throw it on their streaming services. Does it leave cable altogether? I don't know. Maybe it stays on cable and on streaming. I'm not sure how that works. Whatever. Probably the same thing that Disney has going where it's on both. But then there's the question of would they actually sell in general? And that's the people are saying don't count that out this time. I'm wondering if they would consider 
selling the sacred Disney vault of all the classic and current Disney movies. Oh, that's that's got to be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. It, it, has to. it makes me feel icky thinking about that, though. It's like if Disney doesn't belong to Disney, and I know it's also a silly notion. That's a silly notion in its own because Disney, Walt Disney is dead, long dead. Right. He's got family. Of course, we all know that Bob Iger, though, is is he can make his own choices as a CEO. But he talks to the shareholders often. And that's where we learned of this this week is that he told shareholders again, he's certainly considering it. He's certainly considering it. And all they need to hear, I think he's warming them up because they're hearing now considering TV. But next week, it could be considering more. Maybe it's considering Lucasfilm. Maybe it's considering Marvel. Maybe then it's considering Disney, Pixar. I mean, you, they own so much shit. It could be the parks. It could be the parks. You could be going to Apple World instead of Disney World. Like, <laughs> they would seriously own so much shit if Apple bought it. They would own so much shit. At least there'd be more places to charge your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Set this down on the ride. Charge your phone while you go. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot. I know there's a lot of different jokes that you can make with Apple buying Disney, but... There you go. There you have it. There is there is rumor just based off what Bob Iger himself is saying. So at the least expect Apple to be eating up some of their TV shit. At the most, we're talking about a like trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar deal here, I think. The blind side. When this story first broke earlier this week, I think you guys probably heard the episode. I felt horrible because I want to think that this is still a nice, happy, functioning, functional family. And, and that they can get past this. And it was probably just a misunderstanding. As it turns out, it wasn't a misunderstanding at all because there's a new development. There is. Uh, there is. Um, I think most people are caught up here. You know, the movie The Blind Side. So Michael Orr claimed the family used him, made millions off his name. He got nothing. Then got him to sign this conservatorship so they could control his money and basically tricking him. So then the lawyer spoke up for the family and said, no, 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 no. That was not the case at all. They were very crystal clear to Michael at the time. He was 18. They couldn't adopt him. Um, also, apparently he approached them like a few weeks back saying, give me 15 million or I'll go public saying this. So they are they were aware this might happen. The family isn't shocked that Michael's doing this because he already came forward and basically needs money. Where the money went? Great fucking question. But anyway, he knew the Tui family were his legal conservators, and we know that now. So this is the development. He wrote a book, a memoir. So there's the, just so everyone's clear, there's The Blind Side, which is a book, okay? The Blind Side is a book, and then they made a movie based off the book. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about an actual memoir from Michael Orr after The Blind Side became such a popular movie, and Sandra Bullock won an Oscar and all this stuff. So Michael decided to do a memoir about his time in football and his time, obviously, homeless, etc. And you can you can look up the book if you're interested. It came out in 2011. I beat the odds from homelessness to the blind side and beyond is what it's called. But listen to this excerpt from the book. May I read a piece to you? Let's hear it. Since I was already over the age of 18 and considered an adult by the state of Tennessee, Sean and Leanne would be named as my legal conservators. Oh, he, he used the word he claimed he didn't fucking know. And he even used it in the right context, too. They explained to me that it means pretty much the exact same thing as adoptive parents, but that the laws were just written in a way that took my age into account. Honestly, I didn't care what it was called. I was just happy that no one could argue that we weren't legally what we already knew was real. We were a family. So that's an exact excerpt from the from the book, which only 
Okay, does it mean necessarily that he didn't understand what a conservatorship was? No, it's possible he sat there and went, huh? I don't fucking know what you mean, but I'll just sign this if it means I can get into school and I can, you know, get my license and all the other things I need to do and we're a family and I trust you, fine. That's possible. But the fact that he was arguing in the suit that he didn't know when he was tricked into signing a conservatorship is kind of fucked up considering you wrote in 2011 that you signed a conservatorship. Okay, I'm going to continue trying to see the other side of it. Sure, it, it looks bad for Michael. Uh, yeah, it does right now. Optically, this is bad. But what I might suggest could have happened here to still make all of this make sense is they went to him and told him exactly that. You know what? You're over 18. We can't adopt you. Mm-hmm. So if we are become your conservator, we have a legal obligation to you, meaning you are part of our family and, and we will be able to get you into Old Miss and, and hopefully you'll go on to a great career in the NFL. Seems like he was all in on that, but he may not have fully understood all of the repercussions that come from conservator. He may have thought, okay, well, I just signed this piece of paper and then essentially they're they're responsible for me like my parents. Not understanding that that means they can also sign deals on his behalf. They can use his name, image, and likeness and license it out and he doesn't have to agree because they're in charge. All that sort of stuff. That's one possibility. The other possibility is... He didn't write that book. We know he probably didn't. It was probably done by a ghostwriter. Most books like that are. And he may not even have read it. This is entirely possible that he essentially just licensed out the story. Somebody else read it, or sorry, wrote it, and he never read it. And so when it says all those years back then, he still didn't know that he was a part of a conservatorship. That was just something the author knew from doing the research. But then there is research. Then there is paperwork. I don't know how you wouldn't know. I, I tend to agree with you. I'm just trying to give the guy the benefit it. of the doubt. I, I like get him a lot. It. I have a feeling, though, something more is happening here with him. And I mentioned it in the other podcast, but I have a feeling something more is going on. He's having an issue with money, and he's trying desperately to get re, re, some money, get some money back that he lost in one way, shape, or form because he had money. We assume he had money. How did you not? How do you wake up now and realize? By the way, years after you retired, oh, I don't have any money. Where? Did, hey, I played football for a long time, and I don't have any money. That can't be possible. It can't be possible. You sign those contracts. It's fucking public knowledge when you sign a contract in the NFL. Hey, you signed for $3 million. You signed for another year for another million, whatever it is. Everybody knows it. Are you telling me you didn't know it or you didn't have the money? So again, I go back to, I think what we said yesterday is accurate. And it's got to remain true that you got to follow the money trail. Mm-hmm. And it's going to lead you to the truth. Would you blame Sean and Leanne Tui if they never wanted to speak to him again? Like, if he really is desperate for money and his first instinct was to turn on his family instead of going to them and saying, hey, can you help me? Or I need some financing because I got to continue making money. I need to start a business. Because the Tuohys have money, millions. They do. That's the thing, too, is I don't think they try to shake him down for money. They had money. It seems like that part of the story that we knew and loved is still true. They saw a, a homeless youth. They took him in. They treated him like a member of the family. And now all these years later, he's throwing it back in their face and wants money. If that's what's going on here, would you blame him if they never wanted to speak to him again and wanted to cut ties completely? Because that would devastate me. But Sean and Leanne Tui from the get-go were very sensitive to his trauma. He had a shitty upbringing. Yep. And I'll put on my psychology hat again, I guess. I love it when you do this. (laughs) Because trauma is a bitch. The thing about going through a trauma when you're a young person is sometimes it never leaves you. No matter how successful you get, no matter how rich you get, no matter if you have a family or not, there's a lot of people who suffer from trauma 
who just as easily get brought back and they take it out on things and maybe they start going in a bad path in life because of it. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's gambling, like just one thought. But I feel like he still deals with trauma. And also he can totally be be pissed off about not fully understanding and be mad at himself for it. But I feel like the the family, knowing him as he was in that time with a parents that didn't, I think it was just his mom at the time. I forget the story now, but family wasn't interested. He slept on the on the floor of a gym and here and there and everywhere. That, that kind of shit, no matter who you are later in life, comes back to haunt you sometimes. And mentally, you actually can't break from it. So I have a feeling they're probably sensitive to that and understanding of that. And sometimes you need to give someone that second chance and understand you've been through a lot of shit in your mind. I That's what I'm... I'm at the stage now where I'm thinking, not knowing the situation, of course, in person, but if you want my outside perspective, I think he's going a lot, through a lot of mental shit. And he's using this as a reason to get money because he's not happy. That's it. He's not happy and it probably isn't doesn't fall all on him. It's a lot of trauma built up. Yikes. I feel bad for everybody in this case. Yeah. Like, I really don't feel like... Uh, uh, we can completely blame Michael Orr here. I, I yeah, oh, you know sad. it's a shitty situation for sure. I hope that they resolve it together. I hope that if he does need money, and that's the problem, maybe the family can bring him back in. Sans conservatorship, just drop that. Don't do it for that reason. Don't do it because there's papers signed. Just say what's going on. What's the problem? What did we do wrong? What do you need? Do you need counseling? Do you need help? Who do you owe money to? Where did the money go? Maybe they can have that private conversation and not make this so public. Because at this point, it seems like a family matter that's gone public. As conservators, though, they should know where his money is. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the thing, too, is where is the money? This is why we need to follow. We need to figure out what's going on with the money. Thank you, because that's the cloud that's hanging over right? all this that would end all this speculation. And no one's been clear. No lawyers, no, no nobody's saying anything. It's not like they're saying he had $28 million in the bank and it disappeared. What happened? Or whatever amount of money it would be. Can I just say another thing that we learned off of this, which is kind of a sidebar. I know it's being included in this story a lot, but sidebar, it's amazing the amount of money that people don't make off of selling their story. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Like, I mean, you had, so you had the author of The Blind Side, the book that I told you the movie's based off of. The base, the, in case you didn't know, it's based off a book. So the author of that book is speaking out now and saying, it's fucking horseshit, and I don't blame Michael for being upset with, with the lack of money that he received. Because I wrote the fucking book the movie's based off of. They all saw the same amount, and it's in the ballpark of two hundred dollars to $300,000 a piece. Nobody saw more. The so, movie executives, the people who sold, the, all the Hollywood studios, all reaped fucking millions off of this. The people whose lives were actually a part of this story got no more than $300,000 a piece. He's actually encouraging everybody involved, including the twoies who don't need the money, to join the strike that's currently happening with actors and writers just because that's that's good evidence that people are talking about right now that they don't get paid enough. Whether you're a writer, an actor, or your, sto your story is sold to the studios, essentially. They're making so much money off of you, your story, your life, your work, and you should be getting paid more. Okay, but let me ask you, though. It's kind of like when a brand new artist signs a record deal. Those deals always favor the labels. Yeah, they do. And and they're yeah. taking a chance, though. I mean, yeah. I, if that's done for a reason. They don't know any more than you do if this hit song that they're signing is actually going to be a hit song. And they could just as easily lose money. So they write it in in a way so that they make the most money. Sure. And then as you become a more established artist, you can basically call your own shots and renegotiate your own deals. In the case of the blind side, or even in your life, voice of TikTok, 
If somebody came to you and said, Kat, I think there's something here. I think your life story would make a great book. However, I'm not sure. So how about this? I'm going to give you a million dollars for the rights to your story. Would you take that easy Millie or would you hold out for the opportunity that, well, wait a second. If it does blow up, I could be leaving a 10 million on the table. Yeah. And I don't know where the right answer is. It sounds like the twoies were cautious, but they made a good deal. Yeah. In hindsight, it was a bad deal. But at the time they had every reason to believe who's going to give a shit about some high school kid from Tennessee that we kind of adopted yep. and, and put him in football in Mississippi. Yeah, you have to be careful with things like that. And, and at the time that they agreed to the rights of the sto- to give up the rights of the story for the book and, and all of that other stuff, they didn't even know if the movie would go forward. Because a lot of the time what happens is they'll write up a script and everything else and then it has to get a green light from a studio. So on top of that, I'm sure there's been lots of deals that were made under the table of like, oh, this book, we want the rights to this book to make it a movie, and then it never happens, mm-hmm. right? It never, it's actually happened before and publicly, like, hey, this book, and then, uh, fuck, we scrapped it. And studios lose money off of that. But you're right. Some studios make hundreds of millions. Uh, you have to be so hap- so careful, know your worth, and have a multi-layer plan, not just an overall, overall. Not that any, I mean, I don't think that this advice right now will will really be used by anyone listening necessarily, but... I mean, in general, we should all be careful what we're signing and what we're what we're giving up when we do sign it. Create extra layers. Get lawyers involved just in case. I think. Yeah, you, you, you it's fine to sell your story. And if you get a good amount of money for your story, great. But think about what you're selling it for. Don't just release it in all perpetuity and they just own it. Yes. Tell them, you know what? You can have my rights for this amount of money for a book exclusively. If this eventually gets sold off into a movie right, then we talk. We renegotiate. Then we talk. Oh, but I still retain the original rights to my story. That's ah, right. Shit, I should have been a lawyer. Would you ever? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You're right. Like, but people, I don't think realize that when it's them, right? When it falls on them, like, hey, we want your story. Like, oh fuck, that seems like a good amount of money. I don't think anybody cares. Well, look, it made millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Would you ever do a memoir? Uh, will you maybe, someday? Maybe. Really? Maybe. That'd be such a good book. Okay, listen, I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I think everybody, I think every single person should write a memoir. It doesn't matter if you think your life isn't worth writing about. Trust me, it is. And someone will want to read it, whether that's your kids, your grandkids, your nephews, your nieces, someone down the line, maybe someone will find it one day. Your life is more interesting than you think. Your stories are more interesting than you think. I think everybody should write a memoir. Well said. And on that, we're going to leave you with our interview with LL Cool J from today. Uh, I don't know if it's in the interview. I don't remember, actually, because it's a blur when we get done the morning shows. But LL is at Scotiabank Arena on Saturday night. I am doing the date tonight, my anniversary, the make good. Mm -hmm. For anybody who's been following along with that drama, um, I couldn't just the next day come home with a bouquet of flowers from Longo. Sorry. I know. I know that my girlfriend said that and people have said, you should have just bought her flowers the next day and this wouldn't be happening. I didn't. I I put pressure on myself to do better. And, And I wanted to make sure that A, because I forgot and B, because she deserves it, that I made it a special time. So we've got a whole thing. There's three things happening tonight. I'm going to post some of it on Instagram as it's happening, and I promise I'll tell you guys the story tomorrow. Dave Blizzard joins us on Fridays. Usually, I I don't know if he's coming in. Is he coming in? He's in town. I don't think he's traveling right now, so he should be here. Metallica's not doing any concerts nearby. So I (laughs) I would think Dave's going to be in tomorrow, but we'll leave you today with LL Cool J. Bye. LL Cool J, welcome to the Scott and Cat Show, my friend. How you doing? 
We are so good. <laughs> we are so excited that you're going to be uh, in Toronto this weekend. It's going to be an incredible party. We know it's been 30 years since you've done this, uh, like a headline arena tour. So we think it's overdue. So happy to have you. How long has it been since you've been to Toronto? Oh, man. Well, it feels like forever, just based on, you know, especially in this capacity. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know what I'm saying? In terms of music, I can't honestly remember in that long. But it's like, you know, coming out and doing music this time and, and, and doing this live thing, especially with me and the Roots and all of us have planned, is absolutely amazing. You know what I'm saying? Um, Y'all, Tim, Queen Latifah, La Soul. It's going it's to be unbelievable. You know what I'm wondering is, how did this tour come to be? Who called who? Did did you pick up the phone and phone The Roots, or did The Roots call Jazzy Jeff and they called you? How did it all come to be? We came together because of the Grammy. We did a Grammy performance celebrating 50 years of hip-hop and decided that we should take that concept, you know, the whole, you know, just one group rapid fire, one non-stop band, DJ, just a non-stop show, and just take it on the road. And, um... You know, the rest of history and, um, you know, people have really been enjoying it because it's so different from, from all of the tours I did, from most of the tours that are going on. Amazing. It's crazy, but it was Grammy. It was definitely Grammy. It was, you know, yeah, we, you know, just rehearsals, being at the Grammys, hanging out, you know, looking at each other, having so much fun. We said, yeah, we got to take it. We just did it. Love it. And, and how's the tour been going so far? It's going excellent, man. I mean, you know, getting back out there. Doing arenas, having fun. Um, you know, a lot of people just like weren't aware that we were even on the road. Then they started coming, and it just started, it just started blowing up and doing really, really well. And uh, people are really blown away by the creative. You know, what I'm saying it's just so different from what you're used to seeing. Because you're getting like four hours of nonstop hip hop, no set changes. It's just we just get up and start rocking. What uh, What's your best memory of your times in Toronto? I mean, I've had a lot of great memories in Toronto. I mean. The food, some of the amazing restaurants. Um, really, the, as a New Yorker, just coming up there so clean. I mean, that's, it, it, <laughs> it, it's mad clean up there. <laughs> 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 you know, being from New York, you walk around Toronto, you're like, damn, so it's possible. You know what I'm saying? And I love New York. You know, Toronto is just a really clean and beautiful city, man. Cosmopolitan. I enjoy it. You've been doing this for so for so long and had the chance to collaborate with so many people. Is there still anyone on LL Cool J's bucket list that you want to collaborate with? I mean, right now, to be honest with you, I'm happy collaborating with everybody on the tour. I mean, you know, running around on the road has been a lot of fun, a lot of good energy, um, you know, positive vibes, and, um, you know, just getting out there, that excitement, seeing those fans, seeing the fans excited. And, you know, people sing the words for songs they haven't heard in years. Seeing people surprised at the, the songs we do. You know, seeing the faces of the group members, the band, the DJs. Like, just, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Well, but there's no one in particular who's going to do what I do. The energy in Toronto right now is electric, and I think you're going to be real happy when you're here performing on Saturday night. Let's talk a little bit about how the tour goes. Is it like as soon as the lights go down, you jump on stage? Who's on first? When do you come in? Like, just give us a little preview of what people can expect. I mean, you're just going to hear, you're going to go in the arena, you know, you're going to feel the visuals, you're going to feel, you know, some of the videos and some of your favorite things, you're going to feel the music, you're going to feel the vibes. And then from there, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to get the roots and then, you know, the music unfolds. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give everybody everything away, but 
It's just we all get on stage. It's like it's just a non-stop party going in and out, revolving set. Just vibe. It's crazy. You gotta see it. It's just another level. It's 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 unlike anything I've ever done or seen in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What's your favorite song to perform live? What's the one that makes you feel happy? <laughs> yeah, you're like so the other ones I'm sad? No, um I like I like um all of them. You know what I'm but each song depends on the city, right? Because you have some songs that are more popular in certain cities with certain fans. So that really is a case by case basis. There is no one song that just makes me go crazy. I enjoy, you know, doing Rock the Bells. I enjoy doing doing it. I enjoy doing lounging. I enjoy doing Around the Way Girl. I enjoy doing Mama Sitting at the Yard. I enjoy all the songs, you know what I'm saying? But it depends on the city you're in, the people you're in, the fans. There's a multiple age range. There's multiple generations. So it always varies, you know what I'm saying? But I will tell people, they can go on my IG story, you know, go on my Instagram, and they can get like a, you know, see a little snippet here and there of reposts that I've done where people have posted visuals from the crowd to get a better feel, you know what I'm saying? But um, it depends. Okay, very good. Well, I, on a personal note, I'd like to thank you for Headsprung, which is still on my cardio song playlist at the gym. Because <laughs> that song always always has been one of the songs that's never moved off that list. It's just such a high power, high energy song. One of my personal favorite songs, I think, of all time. Well, I appreciate you. We definitely, definitely perform Headsprung. And um, I mean, you know, that that's one that makes me happy. But they all make me happy for different reasons. You know what I'm saying? I'm joyful. But yeah, we, we perform Headsprung and it goes crazy. And the version we do with the roots, I mean, it's just, it's wild with DJ Future for the roots. It's crazy. Oh, we can't wait to hear it. We are so excited. Saturday night in Toronto, Force Frequencies, a real creative energy. One of the stars, LL Cool J. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on the Scott and Cat Show. I appreciate you, Scott and Cat. I appreciate you all very much. And, and again, shout out to everybody in Toronto. You got a beautiful city, baby. I look forward to seeing you.